All right. Well, good evening. Uh, well, we're in our uh, final night. We still have tomorrow morning, but uh, for tonight, as we continue to consider the flow of this theme of fruitful joy, we're going to talk about this, uh, this message on practical sanctification. Um, and actually, we're going to talk about, in terms of the flow, how joy is the, the root of holiness. And again, kind of alluded to this this morning, but, you know, uh, last night was kind of a, a theology uh, of kind of a high-level theology of, you know, God's glory and our joy. But then again, questions might come out of how does this work in real Christian life? And, um, and one of the questions that may come out is, will, will having joined Jesus produce a certain licentiousness? Or does it produce, can it produce holiness? And uh, we want to be people that are holy. And so I think that's what this message will try to address. And so let me read actually a scripture. I'm just going to read one verse. We're going to be in various verses, various scriptures, kind of a lot of Proverbs. So the scripture I'm going to read is uh, from Proverbs 21, verse 31. It says, uh, The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. Uh, so let me, let me pray for us. Uh, Father, we thank you again for this time. Thank you for uh, the opportunity to be here and uh, just this retreat, just to have time away from our workplace and from just different distractions that we may have at home, just for undivided time to be with you, with the church family. And so now give us uh, attentiveness to listen to your word and that you, Holy Spirit, would work upon your word uh, to reveal yourself, to reveal the glory of Christ, and that we might be transformed as a result. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if I could share, you know, this message that I'm going to share, in a lot of ways it came for me out of several years of serving again as a pastor, especially at, at a college campus. Um, you know, I, I had many uh, opportunities to disciple and counsel students, and specifically a lot of young men, and, uh, and, and many of them would share with me various sin struggles that they had in their life, uh, even addictions that they had in their Christian life. Here's the interesting thing is that, you know, many of these guys, a lot of times they would be young adult leaders in the church. And so they were Bible study leaders. Uh, they were disciples themselves. In a sense, you could say they were theologically astute. And yet many times they were caught in these besetting sins. So here's the insight I started to realize as a pastor was that, you know, sanctification in the Christian life is not and cannot just be feeding people theological truths. You know, I, I love theology. Okay, so if you want to sit down and talk to me, I'll, I'll talk all day. Uh, I believe that theology is essential for, for battling sin and for fighting for holiness. You know, so I, I believe that. But let's take, for example, the scripture, uh, Philippians 2, 12 to 13. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, uh, so now... Not only in my, as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So a lot of these brothers, for example, would, would know theologically that sanctification is somehow my work, right? Uh, work out your own salvation. But they knew somehow it was also, ultimately it was God's work. It was God who works in you, right? And, and they would know that and be able to state that. And, and I'd say, Amen. But I, what I realized in the midst of walking with these brothers that they had very little sense of what it meant to practically apply this theology in their life. In a sense, what they needed was not just a mere theology of sanctification. They needed wisdom for sanctification. 
And, but what I mean by that, you know, wisdom, I love this definition of wisdom. You know, wisdom is, is learning to live uh, between the verses, right? So meaning that there are clear verses and scriptures and truths that we're to know and understand and obey. But so much of life is not dictated in the scripture. Uh, there's decisions and choices we have to make. And yet we're still called to live this Christ-honoring life. And so what would happen, we're to be so saturated in the scripture that we develop wisdom. We learn how to live inside the scripture, inside the verses. We, we develop wisdom for everyday living. And that's really the heart of Proverbs in the scripture. So what I realized in the midst of pastoring and try to counsel, uh, you know, many knew the, the verses of the theology of sanctification, but uh, there was a lack, there was a disconnect in understanding how to live between the verses on sanctification, how to develop wisdom for actually living it out. Um, and so, so to share that as foundation or context, you know, as we dive into this word, I hope that we would see that this is a relevant word for, for all of us. You know, the reality is that as I was sharing this with, with especially these, these younger men, you know, in many ways I was just sharing out of my own journey of how God was teaching me to fight and battle sin and to fight for holiness in my own life. But here, here's the thing is that you realize that the older and older you grow in Christ, certainly we want to reach points where we are no longer struggling with blatant besetting sins or blatant immorality. But you realize it's more and more that you grow in knowing the holiness of God or you know the, the sinfulness of your own heart. You start to realize that at our essence, and you, you know this is a mark of maturity in Christian life, at our essence we, we realize that we have the same battle as the addict. Calvin himself said is that, that our hearts are, 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 are idle factories. You know, many times our sins can just be more invisible, more subtle, more older brother Pharisee types of sins than the younger brother prodigal types of sins. All right, so I'm enough to, to, to say, though, um, in the midst of saying that, though we may overcome that, especially these last few years, seeing you know, spiritual heroes succumb to moral failures, I recognize that an older brother Pharisee can quickly turn into a prodigal. Uh, we just might be better at hiding our sins. So I, I say all that to say that I hope that we'd say that I don't know everyone's condition in this room. There may be younger brother prodigals that are struggling. Uh, there may be older brother Pharisees uh, that don't have outward struggles. But in, in some sense, we can say that this word is for all of us. Um, uh, for all of us uh, to, to hear, uh, what does it look like to live out uh, a holy life before God? And so three things that we'll look at then uh, for our outline is we'll look at uh, before the battle. And the key word there is preparation. The second thing we'll look at is in the battle. The key word there is, is fight. And the third thing we'll look at is after the battle, what we'll call gospel recommitment. So what I'm going to do throughout the message is kind of reference us to specific types of battles. Now, uh, you know, in terms of battles for sin and, and holiness, it may be a variety of things that we are fighting for in our Christian life, various types of struggles. And I think that these can be applied to, uh, in principle, to any of those things. But in terms of specifics, and I'm going to deal with specifically, particularly battles of lust or areas of moral compromise. And give those as examples, concrete examples, to, to then we can, we can apply to a variety of things. Uh, but then fighting for specific godliness. 
making reference specifically to what does it look like to fight for a regular rhythm of fighting to be with the Lord. You know, whether you call it a quiet time or devotional, whatever it is. I'd say that that, that that may be one of the most important things that we need as a means for communion with Christ. That we develop our delight in Him so we have an increasing hatred for sin and a love for holiness. Alright, and so that's kind of the, the, the framework that, that we'll, we'll go. So first point that we'll look at is before the battle preparation. Alright, so here's the first thing. The first principle uh, first thing is the principle of preparation. You know, one of the things that was frustrating is, is I was counsel people and try to walk with brothers, uh, you know, is how little there was a plan for spiritual victory. You know, uh, this, this is kind of how the conversation would go. You know, I'd be, we'd be sitting down and there'd be brothers that would say, you know, I want to overcome this sin. You know, I, I want to I daily have a quiet time or be in, my, be in the Word. And I'd just be like, that's, all, that's awesome. You know, and so I'd be like, Bro, what's your what's your plan of attack? What's your what's your what's your plan? And and too often the answer would be like, I don't know. <laughs> like I don't, know, I don't have one. And I would be like, ah, <laughs> like you know, like pull my hair out. You know, I'm like wow. Like how is it that we win in life in anything without planning, without intentionality? You know, we need we need battle plans. You know, how are we going to overcome a serious addiction? With just mere goodwill, good thoughts, good desires. You know, I think what many times we fail to understand is that regular season battles are won in the off season of preparation. The more we store up spiritual strength, uh, the more we'll be ready when the battle is most intense. Uh, consider uh, this proverb, Proverbs 6, uh, saying, Go to the ant, O slugger, consider her ways and be wise. She prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in harvest. Okay, so the ant is able to eat in the fall harvest and even in the lean winter months, the ant has food because she's laboring hard in preparation in the summer months. It's so the key to winning in the battle is really to fight before the battle. Right, this, this is the principle of preparation. And so let's get more practical. What, what would that look like then? Let's, and this is, so the next point here is about practical preparation. And the first thing I would say is to have a personal retreat with the Lord. I would say start by sitting down to spend time thinking, prayer storming, brainstorming. Lord, what would it look like to have victory in this area of struggle in my life? Uh, again, I call it having a personal tree. For me, it's, I, I take my Bible, I take my journal, and I go to a coffee shop. Or if I can go outside to sit by a lake, I'll just go with my Bible and my journal. And I'm not leaving until I've, I've, I've met with the Lord in His Word and in prayer and I've written down some things, and I have this deep sense that the Lord is with me. And I don't leave until I've written down some specific things of how I plan to fight. And so, so that's the first practice, is retreat. Obviously, we're at a retreat now, so it's good. <laughs> you know, so as part of why we do that is that we need spiritual restarts. But I'd say don't just wait for the next church retreat. You know, have your own retreats uh, to, to get right with God. Uh, but within that, you develop a battle plan. Proverbs twenty-one thirty-one again says that the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. And the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. In that verse, you see this great wisdom, this balance between God's work, God working, and God working through the means of our battling. Right? This verse is saying this is that if you want victory, victory belongs to the Lord. 
So you got to pray, you got to retreat, you got to commit this immovable mountain that's in your life that you know you can't change yourself. God has to be the one to move it. So victory belongs to the Lord. But it also says this, says the horse is made ready for the day of battle. Mean that God ordains that, that horses and spears and swords and chariots be a part of how battles are won. And that if you don't get ready, you should not expect victory. And so, so let me give the example for myself of, of de devotions, morning devotions for me. College for me was the time when I was convicted that the, the, the mornings were the times that I needed to meet with the Lord. And different people had different convictions that a law per se. Um, but, but I think that just starting your day with God. Right? And so I wanted to do that, but I was not a morning person at that time. It was very hard. Uh, and so yet, yet, yet I, I, I retreated to get with the Lord to say, God, help me in this. And so this is, this is how I experience both, uh, you know, getting the right horse ready and victory belonging to the Lord. You know, my, my getting the horse ready for battle for me, and I still do this now, but uh, is setting the alarm. But, but putting it in the bathroom, okay? Because if I have my, you know, if I have my phone with me, I am a notorious snoozer. I will not wake up. I'll just snooze, 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 and it'll be hours later. And so I have to put the alarm in the bathroom. I have to get up out of the bed, wake up, and go and turn off the alarm. And, and a lot of times that works. Sometimes it doesn't work, right? But uh, that, that's, that's one way that I say, Lord, I'm getting a horse ready, right? I'm going to put something in place to help. Um, and so that's me getting the horse ready for battle. But I've also experienced victory belongs to the Lord in my personal retreat. You know, again, I would say to the Lord in my retreat, I'm like, God, I'm a weakling. Lord, help me, God. I, you know that I want to get up and be with you, but I, I, I'm so weak. I'm so weak, Lord. Help me, God. And so I pray that in my retreat. And I say, God, do something. Help me. And, and so I, I kid you not, you know, the next morning a few times, this, this happened to me where I woke up in the morning, I had this like, Insane leg cramp. Like, ah. I got up. I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. And then um, another time I woke up. I had this crazy, like, stomach problem. And I, like, ran to the bathroom. And, and then later I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. You know, got me up. Um, the craziest one was I remember I set my alarm to wake up. I remember I was so tired. I was like, definitely going to snooze this morning. And all of a sudden I woke up. As soon as the alarm went off, beam of light, like shine in my face. I was like, oh, like felt like the Shekinah glory of God. And, I, and uh, what had happened, I was sleeping in a certain position in my bed where the light beam was from the sunrise or something like was moving across my bed and it hit my eye. Like at the exact moment the alarm, the alarm went off. And in that moment, I was like, victory belongs to the Lord. God is with me. My God hears my prayers. And, uh, you know, it says we fight. You know, get, get, some, get some chariots ready, get some horses ready. Uh, but also know that your God will show up. He's going to give you strength in amazing, supernatural ways. And our God loves to deliver. And so, and so we, we got to do this. We, we, before the battle, we, we, we prepare but here, here, here's the next step is that you did all that you can to prepare. You made your commitments and now it's, it's in time, right? And you're in that moment, the moment of decision or the moment of temptation, right? And maybe in our mind's eye, wherever we are, you, know, you can imagine what that thing is for you, what that place is. And in that moment, what do you do? And uh, that leads to the next, in the battle we fight. And the key word here is fight. We fight in two ways. There's a practical fight and there's a spiritual fight. 
It's a practical fight is that we, we need boundaries. This bleeds into what I've already shared a bit about preparation, but you know, in the preparation stage, we need specific rules that we make for battle situations. You know, our hearts are too wicked, too devious to leave things to chance in the moment of battle. You know, look at Proverbs 5.23. It says, he dies for lack of discipline. And because of his great folly, he's led astray. Uh, you know, we need discipline. We need boundaries that we, we, we preset to keep, to obey in the moment of battle. Psalm 119, 175 says this, it says, let my soul live and praise you. Let your rules help me. Right, the psalmist is saying, I want, I want to live. I want to praise you. I want to live spiritually. I want to be alive. So God, let, your, let your, your rules guard me to keep me from sin, to keep me in godliness. Right? Sometimes we, we, we assume that, that rules or discipline are, are automatically legalism. Uh, I think this is the heart of a lover. It's putting, putting boundaries in place because my heart longs to be in love with you, Lord. Right? And so, so we need these things in place so that we can stay in the path of obedience and the path of delight in God. So how does this work? Let, let me talk about battle against lust. I can, by God's grace alone, I can say that I'm not falling into explicit moral failure in my life. Thankful for that. And yet, by, you know, by His grace, I need to constantly be fighting and battling. And so I have certain rules, for example, that I set for myself that I seek to keep in my life. You know, one of them, you may be familiar with this, this concept, is bouncing the eyes, Right? This culture, there, you know, there can be images, things all around us that can, can tempt us, tempt our eyes. And so the rule is you bounce your eyes, right? So the moment you see something, it's like, whoa, boom, you bounce, right? You turn, turn the other direction. And then the other part of that is no second looks, right? So you don't like bounce the eyes and like, come back to that, that, that place, right? So there's, you know, uh, you know, kind of a funny story. But, you know, I some brothers that, um, you know, we'd hold, hold each other accountable. There's one brother that, you know, was, they were walking down the street. They saw something that, you know, that, that was tempting. And so he bounced his eyes. Okay, good, good. He bounced his eyes. But then he started, he, he went for the second look. And then one of the other brothers caught him and slapped him. It's like, duh, no second looks. <laughs> and so that's like godly accountability right there. Right there. We, right, there we go. We need, we need brothers and sisters like that in our lives. Amen? Yeah. Um, you know, so that's, I know that's kind of funny. But, you know, I say that because, you know, that rule, that, that rule, I would say, is, is, is meant to be a savior for my soul. Because I only want eyes for one woman, for my wife. You know, she's the only one that deserves my eyes. And so I, I, I made that covenant. What about entertainment? You know, I enjoy watching, watching movies. Uh, I admit I do watch some R-rated movies. Okay, but I won't watch any movie, right? Here's, here's my process, right? You may be aware of this. You can go to imdb.com. You can view what are the different things of explicit scenes in a certain movie. And so beforehand, we'll read it. And if something is extremely crude or inappropriate, you know, we, we just as a family make a decision that there's certain things that we won't watch. Um, you know, I think that as Christians, I don't know what that line is, but there needs to be a line. And there needs to be a line that we draw the line in the sand. We say that if, if I'm a follower of Christ, that, that there's just certain things that, that we, we won't cross because we want to we delight in God. We want to know Him. We want to live lives of holiness. And so here's the point. We, we don't leave things to the chance, chance or decision. We're not just caught. But we, beforehand we say that there's certain covenants I make. 
boundaries are set. So like the psalmist would say, I want to live spiritually, but I want to live. So let your rules help me. So we, we need these practical fight rules, but again, we don't make our fight completely practical only, but we endow it with spiritual strength. And that leads to the, the next point is that spiritual fight, we word in prayer. You know, the most specific thing I could say that in the moment of, of, of battle is that we revert to God's word and specifically memorize scripture. Some people call them, you know, having fighter verses uh, that you have for the moment of battle. So for example, for myself in, in college and with, with wanting to, to wake up to be with the Lord uh, in the mornings to, to, to spend time with him, you know, I, uh, you know, we had a bunk, bunk bed, right? So I was on the top bunk. And so at the top and the ceiling, the, what I put right above my head was Psalm 73, verse 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you, though my heart and my flesh may fail. God, you are the strength of my heart, my portion forever. So the moment I wake up in the morning, the first thing I want to see is I want to see God's word. This says, God, whom have I in heaven but you? Earth has nothing I desire besides you. And though I want to go to sleep, in that moment, that word becomes strength. The sword of the Spirit comes and empowers. So we got to hide God's word in our heart. Become strength. And, you know, if, if, it's, if maybe it's, if it's the battle against lust, you know, it might be Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And maybe it's the moment of temptation. And you're saying, Lord, I don't want to stop seeing you. Blessed are the pure in heart. Oh God, help me not to go there. I don't, want to be, I don't want to lose my vision of you, Lord. And that scripture can become power to resist temptation. I believe that memorized scripture, his, God's word hidden in our heart, united with prayer, becomes power in the heat of the battle. And so, so, so we need to, in the battle, we need to fight. So we talked about before the battle, we talked about in the battle, but we need to talk about one more thing, we need to talk about after the battle what I would call gospel recommitment. I think it's absolutely needed because no matter how many times you've prepared, now how many times you've tried to fight in that moment, you've failed a million times. If you're anything like me, maybe you're better than me, but I've failed a million times. And so one of the key, biggest keys to Christian life and to sanctification is not just the fight to not fail. right? We need to fight to not fail. But I mean, maybe the biggest thing is, is, is the fight to not get discouraged when you fail. That is one of the things that probably kills Christians maybe the most. Is, is the sting of guilt and discouragement and shame. And so, uh, we need to learn gospel recommitment. What do you do after you fail? And so, after the battle, we need to learn gospel recommitment. And so... A few steps here. First thing is that we need to deal with our sin deeply. You know, what, what do you do after some sort of failure in your life? Uh, I, I know for myself, I think that the tendency, that tendency of Adam and Eve is to ignore and to hide. Right? But the, the first thing that, that we need to say is that we, we should not ignore our sin. When we fall into sin, when we fail in some way, we, we, we face sin, we call sin, sin. It's it's painful to face our failures, right? That's why we ignore it. But as we go through the whole process of recommitment, there is more joy that we will experience in facing our sin than we will experience in 
sweeping it under the rug. In Proverbs 28, 13, I love this scripture. It says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes will obtain mercy. Um, you know, just you conceal it. You know, you, you, you have this temporary pleasure for this time, but when you confess and forsake, you obtain real joy, real mercy. Important to say this, that, you know, yes, our confession is to God, but there's also confession inside the body of Christ. You know, sin loses its power when it's brought into the light, specifically the light of the body of Jesus Christ. And even more specifically, I know as a church, you're, you're moving into the PCA and uh, that the, the God has given the means of church discipline through the elders of the church. Uh, and we may need to confess maybe in, uh, to, to, to a person here, Maybe even, even to the elders of the church. I don't know. Maybe for some people here, maybe, maybe this is the only thing you'll hear tonight. Maybe the only thing you'll hear at this retreat. Maybe, maybe there's some confession you need to make. Well, then I'd hear, I pray you'd hear the scripture again that, brothers and sisters, if you conceal, conceal your sin, uh, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy pray that you would find healing and wholeness in the confession of your sin. So we don't ignore our sin, but the, here's the other thing is that we also are not shallow in how we view our sin. You know what I mean? You know, many times as Christians, our, 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 our view of repentance is shallow, that sometimes we, our, our confession, our repentance is, is simply, God, I'm sorry that I didn't do what I said I'd do, or I fell in this way. And I'd say that that, that is not deep enough are helpful enough for the fight of holiness and the fight against sin. Proverbs 20 verse 5 says this. It says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Well, this verse is saying that the heart is deep. Uh, there are deep reasons of why we do what we do. We're not just instinctual animals that are reacting. And so therefore, we need to ask God for insight. Insight into our hearts so we can draw out the deep reasons at the roots of our sin, so we can repent more deeply. You know, repentance becomes deep, because, not just because we repent of what we've done, but we repent of why we've done it. Uh, and so for me, practically, again, it's, it's having those retreats with the Lord as, as, I, as I spend time in His Word and as I journal especially too, often God enables me to see insights, to see the deeper roots of my sin. You know, we repent not just of the fruit, but of the roots that led to that. And so, so we, need, we need the ability to, to, to have some introspection, to understand uh, where are these things coming from. And so, you know, part of why we, we don't deal with our sin deeply is because if we do this, if we don't ignore our sin and if we deal with it deeply, you'll actually be more discouraged, <laughs> right? You, you actually feel worse because you realize that your sin is worse than the fruit. There's something more sinister, more evil, more ugly than what we even realized about our sin. But as Christians, you know, in this gospel recommitment, we don't stay at seeing our sin. We start there, but then we move to this next part. We stand confidently in our justification. And I pray that, you know, many of us are, are, are familiar with this important term, justification by faith alone and Christ alone. But we say that, you know, this is really the heart of the Christian gospel. 
You know, everything I've said so far, in some sense, you know, any religious person or self-help person, you know, a Buddhist, a Hindu, a Muslim, you know, that's trying to be devout and reform their life might find the things I've said helpful maybe. But here's the radical thing about Christianity, that we remember that God loves us and accepts us, not on the basis of the progress in our sanctification, but solely on the basis of what Christ has done for us and finished on the cross. And that's why Romans 8.1 is so cherished in our battle of sanctification that it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That though you have failed and fallen over and over again, and even if you've succeeded, that you and I are considered accepted and righteous on the basis of Christ and Christ alone. So let me illustrate this further through an illustration with Martin Luther. You may be familiar with Martin Luther. He was, he's considered the, the, the father of the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther was a man who, who, was, who felt constantly tortured by his own sin. Uh, but he found freedom. As he searched the scripture, he discovered, rediscovered that the truth of the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And as he discovered this doctrine, it said that historically that Luther would have these battles with Satan. Uh, these literal seeming battles. And, uh, and it seemed that Satan would constantly try to discourage him because I think Satan knew that if this truth was released to the wider church that would transform the church of Jesus Christ. And so to cripple Luther and to cripple the church, Satan would come with all these attacks. And so I want to read a, a written account of, of a battle of Luther and Satan. It's not an actual account, but it's kind of a, a hypothetical of what these battles might have been like. All right, so let me just kind of share this, this, this story of Satan and Luther. So Satan appeared at night to, to Martin Luther and said to him, Martin Luther, how dare you pretend to be a reformer of the church? Uh, Luther, don't you remember that you've committed this sin, that you've been guilty of that sin? You've omitted this responsibility and that responsibility and let your reform begin in yourself. How dare you pretend to be a reformer of the church until you've purified yourself of all of your sins? And Martin Luther, hearing these accusations of Satan, he said, you know, Satan, uh, you know, take... There's a piece of paper on the table. Take that piece of paper and write down all the sins that you just accused me of. If there's any more sins that, that you have, then, then write them down on that sheet of paper. So Satan rejoiced at the opportunity to accuse Martin Luther of all of his sins. And he started to write down a long and painful list of all the sins of Martin Luther. And Martin Luther, at the end, he sees he's Satan. He says, Satan, have you written down all my sins? And Satan says, yes, it's a long, dark, black list of sins. And when you see this list of sins, it will stop you from making any attempt to reform the church until you have purified yourself of all of your sins. And Luther sees what Satan has written. And he says, Satan, uh, you're absolutely right. My sins are so many, infinitely, in the sight of a holy God. In me, there's, there's nothing good that dwells in me. But Satan, I want you to write one more thing at the end of that list. I want you to write down 1 John 1, 7, that the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses from all sin. And Martin Luther in that scripture had peace. And Satan, when he knew the source of his peace, had no more advantage against him. Brothers and sisters, the gospel means that you and I, we can stand confidently in our justification in Jesus Christ. That no matter how numerous our failures, at the end of every failure we write, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all my sin. We, we rest on the rock-solid foundation of our justification in Christ. You can't fall any farther. 
And you know, what do we do? Does our confidence and our justification leave us passive? No, on that rock, we recommit again. We recommit again. And I love what Proverbs 24, 16 says, for the righteous fall seven times. Right? It doesn't say the wicked fall, it says the righteous fall seven times. But what makes them righteous is that they rise again. And this is the heart of a justified saint. You know, say, yeah, I fell again and again and again and again, but I'm not condemned. That though I fall, God, you can make me new. And there's a certain feistiness that the, 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 the justified saint develops in their Christian life. And that we cannot overcome our sins or develop godliness apart from this feistiness. You know, if I could show this, this picture here. You know, the Christian life, we sometimes think the Christian life is like this balance beam. Right? I got I to gotta stay on the balance beam and if I fall off of it, it's over. But that is not the Christian life. That is not the, the life of a justified saint. It's more like a boxer. Where you're getting hit, you're getting beat up, you're falling on the mat, but you get up again. You rise again. That no matter how many times I fall, seven times, though, I'm ju- though I fall seven times, I'm justified in Christ. I will rise again. And the, the farthest place I fall is the rock-solid foundation of Christ. And I fall on, on ground that's solid rock. And from there I get up. Another thing that we need to remember in the midst of our recommitments is that you know, every failure that we have in the Christian life is not a true failure if there's, there, because there's growth in between are trying to keep our commitments. I love this scripture, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. I love that. The Christian sanctification is, is often, I'd say maybe, maybe most of the time, just one degree. One degree change at a time. One invisible degree, but a glorious degree. Amen? So never be discouraged. Rejoice even if there's one degree of change in your heart. And, and recognize this, that in the midst of Christian sanctification, most, most of the time, especially if there's ungodly habits or habits you're trying to develop, it takes time to change. And, you know, for, as a counsel, especially addictions, you know, I, I describe it like this. I describe it like a sumo wrestler. So if we can show this picture here. Sorry about this picture. But, you know, you know, the idea is that we need to starve the sumo. Right? We've been feeding this, this thing, this addiction, maybe, maybe for years. Right? We think it's going to go away in a moment. But we need to starve the sumo. Starve our sinful desires until it becomes at a manageable size. We need to feed ourselves spiritually until you get addicted to more godly things. And then, and then the, the lure of temptation starts to go down. You start to have some victories until the point where you can start to defeat that, that, that enemy. And you can take the picture down now since that's kind of distracting. But, um, you know, we, we, need to, we need to be prepared to fight over and over again, even to fall over and over and over again. Um, but know that you're growing in between. Every failure is not really a failure if you're growing. You know, often I'll share this with people that are struggling and to remind them, you know, uh, you know let's just say that they're, they're struggling with some sort of uh, struggle with, let's say, pornography, and, and, and they're, they're in the midst of that temptation, and they're, they're there, they're tempted, and they, they know they shouldn't go there, and they're saying, God, help me, I don't want to fall. God, I don't want to fall today. 
and they're struggling, they're battling, and then they fall. And yet their heart is grieved, their heart is grieved, and they're saying, God, I didn't want to fall, I'm so sorry. And you know what, you know what I tell that person, you know, they, they might think that, you know, I'm just a failure, I'm just a failure, but in that moment I say, you grew, because you didn't want to. You ask God for strength, and even in your grief, you, you honor God, you please God with your godly sorrow. And even in that, you, though outwardly you have failed, inwardly you are being renewed. Inwardly, there is a sanctification that is happening. One degree of change, of glorious change in your heart. So you press on. You keep fighting. You fall on the rock. You get up again. So be encouraged, brothers and sisters, that that next degree change of glory might get you over the hump. But until then, we, we, we stand on the rock of Christ. And we keep battling. We keep recommitting. And one day, all of our struggles will be gone. We'll see Him face to face. What will we'll be present is our heart. Our heart that is full of love for the Lord. And that's what He looks for. He looks for that heart. It says, God, I want to I love you. And as, as we have that heart, he'll make us holy by his grace. I want to close by showing a, a final video. It's a video of uh, my, my son, uh, John, when he was two years old. <laughs> so he's two years old. He, he loved basketball. He still loves basketball. And so uh, I just want to show a picture of him trying to shoot on a 10-foot hoop. Okay, so... It's a little bit difficult for him, but um, we'll watch this. Is that working? Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh. What should we do? Oh, okay. <laughs> Quick time not available. Okay. That's all right. Should we, you guys tell me, should I skip? Ten seconds? <laughs> hmm. Okay, I'll keep setting it up. So he's... We're in the park, uh, and he's he's shooting, shooting. He's two, he's two, and he's got it's a it's a little ball, so it's not like a big like a real ball, but oh there, he is. okay. <laughs> We're trying.
Yeah, I don't know if you could hear, but <laughs> the last shot, I was going crazy. I was like, ah! <laughs> I, was, I was celebrating. Uh, you know, the reason I show that is to show a picture of, again, what the Christian life is like, that as we fight and battle, we fail, we fall. Um, but there's a Father that watches over us, who rejoices, who rejoices in us, who delights in us. You know, I wish I could guarantee you that after the retreat, it's like, oh man, I'm never going to fail again. <laughs> you know, I could probably just guarantee that you will. <laughs> you will fail. But there's a greater guarantee that I can give you. A gospel guarantee of the sure love of your Father. Uh, who sees you as justified and righteous and perfect and beloved in His sight. And He rejoices in the steps, just like any parent that watches their child learning to walk. We don't count uh, the falls, we just celebrate the steps. So our Father uh, watches over us as we progress in our sanctification. He rejoices. He delights in us. So let's learn to walk by His grace. Let's pray.